Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> how are you today? Good, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited to talk about this crazy movie. It was a twist. The, the movie itself was just a twist. It completely turns into something else in the middle of the film. Totally unexpected. Yeah, I honestly went into this movie with like no expectations because I literally had no idea what, what it was going into it. It was one of those I had never heard of before. I mean, the synopsis is pretty vague. So, and I I always appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I like when I don't go in with a whole lot of spoilers. So I was saying, yeah, yeah. So I was excited going in with that, but it's still somehow twisted in my mind. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. <laughs> I went in without expectations, and then still I ended up falling for the twist. So I don't know. They did it. I'm proud of it. <laughs> well, great. Let's talk about it. <laughs> well, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the theater for those who are able to find it because the theater moves around a lot. It's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And we are in our third week of a series of movies we call Grinders, where we look at some of the best exploitation and grindhouse films from the 1970s. And this week, we're doing the classic... The Toolbox Murders. The Toolbox Murders. Uh, like you, I had never heard of this film. And and so when we initially came across it, we both thought it was going to be about something else. Uh, because there is a very famous case about some serial killers, literally called the Toolbox Killers. Yeah. That's what I thought this was going to be about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. And that's, what, like you said, a very rough case. Uh, and I was like, oh, gosh. This is going to be a tough one. I mean, not that this movie was like, I mean, it's a horror slasher movie. So there's still death and gore in the movie, but still. But at least this isn't real. Yeah, exactly. But I I don't think we were the only ones. I think if I remember correctly, I do know a couple of listeners were like thinking the same thing, like that they had known about the other story from our other podcast, uh, Creepy Caffeine. And they were saying if it's anything similar to that story I'll probably like skip the movie this week and I was like basically had to like forewarn people it's not the same same story but I mean you know obviously feel free to watch the trailer and decide if you want to watch it or not but yeah it's definitely different so I know that we were not the only ones that went into this thinking it was a totally different plot point yeah so like Danny said we did cover that story on our other podcast creepy caffeine so if you're interested in hearing that horrifying tale that's episode 54 Uh, feel free to check it out. It is uh, not for the faint of heart. 
But let's talk about some fake violence, because that's a lot more fun. <laughs> of course, now is the time when I warn you that, as always, there will be spoilers here. If you want to watch the movie first, feel free to pause the episode now and go check out the movie. We ended up watching it on uh, 2B. Uh, but I mean, of course, if you're skipping the movie, that's okay, too. We're here to spoil everything, no matter what. So this is just your warning. And here we go. We're about to jump into it. What is the information from the wiki? All right, so our wiki breaks down as The Toolbox Murders is a 1978 American exploitation slasher film directed by Dennis Donnelly and stars Cameron Mitchell as Vance Kingsley, Pamela Ferdin as Laurie Ballard, Nicholas Bouvet as Joey Ballard, and Wesley Ure as Kent Kingsley, who some of you old-timers, such as myself, may recognize as Will Marshall from the original children's adventure television series, Land of the Lost. Man, that was a Saturday morning staple for me. Who wasn't terrified of Sleestacks? And of course, you have no idea what I'm talking about. No, not at all. It sounds great, though. It was amazing. (laughs) And just horrible special effects, which just made it even better. Development began in 1977 when Los Angeles producer Tony Didio wanted to make a low-budget horror movie after witnessing the success of Toby Hooper's landmark horror film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Didio screened the classic film with writers Ann Kinberg, Robert Easter, and Neva Frieden, giving them the mandate to create their own variation of the story. Ironically, in 2004, Toby Hooper would go on to remake this film, titled simply Toolbox Murders, although his version veered considerably from the original. The film was marked as being a dramatization of true events, and according to journalist Linda Gross, who lambasted the film as, quote, degenerate, unmotivated, and pornographic trash, reported that the screenplay was loosely based on a string of serial killings in Minnesota committed by a man who attacked women using various tools. However, no such case can be confirmed. Some people assume this is a dramatization of the real toolbox killers, Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris, who raped, tortured, and killed five teenage girls in Southern California, all while recording the audio of their sadistic crimes to listen back for their sick pleasure. But those killings wouldn't happen for a year after the film's release. Made for an estimated $185,000, the film was released regionally in El Paso, Texas on February 17, 1978, and quickly became a hit with audiences, grossing over half a million by mid-year before it even had its Los Angeles premiere in November. Critics, however, did not share the audience's enthusiasm, noting the film's misogynistic views towards victimization and exploitation of women, along with its graphic violence and nudity. The Toolbox Murders had a brief stint in the realm of video nasties in the UK in the early 80s, but was eventually acquitted in court and removed from the DPP's hit list. Over the past 40-plus years since its release, it has garnered a cult following among horror enthusiasts. Famed horror writer Stephen King counts it as not only one of his favorite horror films, but one of the scariest movies ever made. 
And even director Scott Glosserman, the genius behind the movie Behind the Mass, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, one of my personal favorites, paid homage to this film by including the Easter egg of having the character of Eugene being responsible for the toolbox murders. A sequel of the film had been planned for a 1986 release, but never made it past pre-production. All right, well, real quick, the synopsis says, At a gated apartment complex, someone is killing female tenants. When Lori Ballard appears to have been kidnapped by the killer, Lori's brother Joey teams up with a classmate named Kent to search for the identity of the killer and kidnapper. The vicious murders are being committed with common construction tools, and if the police, Joey, or Kent don't find Lori soon, she could be the next victim. All right, well, here we go. I got my tools. I'm ready. (laughs) Well, first off, we're hearing like Disney tinkle chimes things. Mm -hmm. I I, I thought I was expecting Tinkerbell and I thought it was (laughs) it just it's a weird, you know, how at the beginning of the movie, the production companies all have their little logos that come up. Yeah. Some of them are animated and have music. And just like the Disney one that comes up and you get little twinkly noises. uh, This this one did as well. It's not Disney. Uh, But it was deceiving. And it's already put me in a weird headspace. (laughs) Yeah, immediately you're like, okay, this doesn't match. (laughs) Things are already weird. Well, it's about to get a lot weirder because now we're driving around and the radio is telling us we're going to burn in hell. Yeah, this radio station was very aggressive. Very aggressive. We have some uh, uh, very intense preaching going on. Uh, Also, we can't see who's driving but we're definitely driving. We are, we're driving. Yeah, we're we're doing the drive. The action of driving is happening. So much driving. We're, we're just doing it. For, we're for a really long time. Yeah, it's a good leisurely stroll in, <laughs> in the <a> car, car. <laughs> being damned to hell. And it's like what more could we want on a Sunday? Well, we are going all over town and we're still going to burn in hell for a really long time. About as long as we're driving here, because mm-hmm. we are still driving. Well, that it, that's what it is. The drive <laughs> itself is hell. The whole first and a half of this movie feels like driving. We are driving, driving, driving. And oh shit, the film freezes on a car dealership. And we hear tires screeching mm-hmm. and a crash. But we don't actually see the crash. But we see a girl get thrown out of the car. Yeah. And she did. It was very unexpected. It was. It's like, hey, we were just driving. Now this chick is dead. Uh, Well, our current driver is having a flashback of a wreck that happened in the spot that he's now passing. We were cutting back to the still shot of this car, just like like it's frozen in front of the the car dealership. And Mm -hmm. then it switches back to flashes of, of this accident and the paramedics coming in course covering her up because she did yeah but but now we're back to to driving again at, at first i was confused as to what was happening here because i thought our current driver had wrecked and like this woman yeah. had flown out of his car mm-hmm. and this was like our first victim mm-hmm. and and that's how our movie's gonna start yeah yeah i did too immediately i was like okay we have a not really a kill but i was like we have our first you know death of the movie and while i didn't notate it down immediately like in my head i'm thinking okay this is right off the bat but we didn't really see it happening and i was i was really thrown off by the whole and i know it was like probably at that time lack of effects 
but it, the whole freeze frame thing it really threw me for a loop because I was like at first I thought our internet has gone out yeah <laughs> and immediate stress has set in because I know we need to watch this movie for the episode so like I'm coming down from the stress stressful second that's all it was was a second and on, that's all it takes for me yes my anxiety <laughs> goes from zero to 100 real quick and so I'm coming down from that high and then we have this girl uh, aggressively falling out of the car. Like, it's like somebody opens the door and she was just leaning as hard as she could against the door the whole time. And somebody opened it and she just fell out. Yeah. 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 So uh, uh, all of that was like, I didn't know who this person was. I didn't know why we stopped our driving. <laughs> who did we wreck with? What What's happening? I was very confused. But I didn't really have much time to be confused because the action just keeps on going. It it does because immediately we're back in the car and we're driving again. The freeze frame stops and we're off and, oh, Lordy, we're driving again. But but we finally stop eventually and the radio tells us if it's a sin, if it's against the word of God, cut it out. Just cut it out. Cut it out. What has Uncle Joey been telling us for years now? <laughs> You're going to hell if you don't cut it out. Cut it out. Well, we see a man. We we still can't see his face, but our driver gets out of the car, and then he goes around and he pulls something out of the trunk, but but we can't really tell what it is at this point. So he enters like the the foyer of an apartment building. Uh, still can't see his face, uh, and he has another flashback, and this time it's of a funeral. We can now tell that these are flashbacks because like the flashback of the car crash these images are in kind of like a yellowish sepia tone I mean there's color but like there's this overall yellowish hue to it so to kind of signify this is a different time kind of thing well back in the foyer and he just rips up some flowers I I thought he was <laughs> going to grab some and like was going to take him to whatever apartment he's visiting and just be like oh look i grab you some flowers mm -hmm. but he literally just rips the top off of them <laughs> he really hates nature i mean what did those flowers ever do to you buddy <laughs> listen up scout we need you to take your anger and turn it around mister <laughs> don't make me turn this car around i'll do it we will drive some more <laughs> oh lord let's not well, he does go ahead and get on the elevator, and we see he has a toolbox. Dun, dun, dun. The title name. <laughs> he now enters a woman's apartment. He's apparently the maintenance man. Well, she's drunk, and she called him on Monday, and he didn't show up till Thursday. I literally didn't realize he was the maintenance man until just now. Yep, he was the maintenance man. I just thought she was really drunk and, like didn't realize who he was that he was like not nice <laughs> well he isn't nice uh she doesn't realize that yet but he has himself a power drill with a lovely wood boring drill bit and that just means it's gonna make a really big hole as it should also he don't give a crap about her timeline and the fact that it's taken him three days to get there he's been busy and he's really sick of this Karen bitchin <laughs> he's like listen lady you need to bring this Karen energy down a notch here's a drilling to bring it down <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Well, uh, she breaks a bottle to try and stop him, but he drills right through her arm. Uh, and, of course, she drops the bottle. Which seems like that's one way to get it done. You want somebody to drop something. <laughs> Just <laughs> drill a hole in their arm. <laughs> my notebook literally says, oh, shit, a drill to the arm this early? That was my thought. <laughs> right out of the gate, folks. <laughs> Well, she makes her way to the bathroom and closes herself in, but he just drills a hole through the door and lets himself in. Like, did she not lock it? Because he goes through the trouble just, you know, drilling this hole and she's standing there screaming, oh, oh." she doesn't get away from the door. She's Uh -uh. just like, oh, it's coming. Oh, scary. And then he just simply opens the door. Yeah. And she even kind of like steps away. Like I thought, because we could see that he's drilling through the door. And I was like, oh, he's like drilling through her and she's like trying to get away. That's why she steps away. But then he just kind of like gradually opens the door and he's like, oh, hate to bother, but can I finish what I was doing? Yeah. As a, <laughs> and where he's drilling, it's, it's not like near the lock or anything. I didn't understand the point of it. Uh, you thought your arm was cool. Look at this door. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. I'm distracted. Look Let me get back to killing you. the hole I made. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> he then pulls her out of the bathroom and throws her onto the living room floor and punches her in the fucking face. I mean, <laughs> out of the blue, just bam. Yeah. You're like, holy shit. <laughs> Forget the fact he drilled her in the arm. The punch was so severe. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I, I made a note of it about as well. And it's the punch thing is recurring throughout the movie. And yeah, for some reason, it is so jolting every time. It's like, Jesus, nowhere. I know. And it's like, it always is a precursor, obviously, like he knocks them out and then Mm -hmm. does the killing. But for some reason, it's like my mind reels from that punch. And then whenever he like drills a hole or like whatever, I'm like, that punch was crazy. (laughs) Can't get past the punch. It's like, wow, he just clawed that woman with a hammer, but... Can we talk about that punch? It's so unnecessary. <laughs> He's like already bigger than them. He has the <laughs> power and the power tools. He's completely overtaken them in their household. He has them when they're most vulnerable. And then still he's going to uppercut the shit out of them. Come on, my guy. Yeah. So, yeah, she's passed the hell out now on the floor. And he proceeds to drill into her skull, question mark, the back of her neck. Somewhere in that region. Mm-hmm. You, you you don't see it full on. You just see quick cuts between blood and a very fancy hi-fi turntable playing. It's a very nice piece of equipment. Uh, yet again, another horrendous exploitation horror score with some country music, pina colada, afternoon <laughs> delight, bullshit ballad. I'm like, what is this music? And it's just... It's so loud over what is happening yeah. and inappropriate. Also, this scene is shot very much in the style of Italian giallo. In fact, this whole movie reminds me of an Italian giallo. So much so that I ended up looking up during the movie who directed it because I was convinced it had to be from an Italian director. Yeah. It's not. Uh, Dennis Donnelly is very American. And fun fact, this was his only feature film. Oh, wow. He he went out, he did a bunch of television after this. But yeah, this is the only movie he did. But he, he did a phenomenal job. I mean. Yeah, especially if, for your first one. Yeah. First if, and only. If you are a fan of Italian giallo, you're, you're going to dig this. It's, it's a cool film style. 
Yeah, yeah. And about the music, I made note of that as well. Because I, I noticed there's about midway through this one tune that's like a trumpet. It, it's like a trumpet music is happening. And then it transitions into kind of like this funky jazz bebop song. <laughs> and it's like over this whole kill scene and I made note of that I was like all of this is so bizarre like my, <laughs> I just can't comprehend what's happening right now I want to dance I want to you know move my hips do a little situation happening but I also am watching a murder happen on my television and that feels weird yeah if you heard last week's episode uh, you you know there was some crazy music going on then too. Man, the seventies was just it was a time. <laughs> they just for... threw music at movies. They were like, you know what, fuck it, they, that'll work. They would go to their next door neighbor and say, "Can you write a song for me real quick?" I've never written anything before. That's fine. It's for a feature film. It'll be fine. <laughs> they gave a kazoo to their dog and they're like just <laughs> and they mic'd went, it up for yeah. the day. <laughs> oh, it's nuts. But then also somehow it just makes it even better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Every time one of these stupid ass fucking songs came on, I was just like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's terrible. <laughs> well, back in the dead woman's apartment, the maintenance man clearly does not know how to wear a ski mask. Did you notice how poorly he put that thing on? It's it like, like <laughs> I'm like, seriously, you can't tell that you cannot see out of your right eye. <laughs> I mean, it was so weird. Like, it felt like it was, like, the wrong shot. (laughs) Yes! Like, it was like, oh, that wasn't supposed to go there, because I'm sure there was a different shot where he actually got that on right. I I even wrote in my notes, I wrote, could we not do a second take where we rush that day? It was like, you know what? It's going to have to work. People are just going to have to deal with it. Because it even, (laughs) you can kind of see him struggling to, like, straighten it up, and then he stops. So you can feel that, like, even he knows it's not right, but he's got to keep going. And it's like, I think we had time to redo that real quick. I bet we did. I mean... Even if you don't plan on watching this film, please at least imagine get to this point. A guy wearing a ski mask all askew on his face, one eye covered, <laughs> the nose kind of covering the mouth, and holding a, a tool menacingly. And imagine how good that is with like a bee bop a doo bop a dee <laughs> playing in the background and tell me that's not cool. That right there is like the epitome of an exploitation film tell your kids that's the 70s (laughs) i can second that i was there the 70s was weird the 70s was weird (laughs) well eventually he puts his bloody tools away uh stands back and admires his handiwork oh and also we can hear him humming a song the entire time that's kind of going to be his mo throughout this whole thing when he's doing his Stabby, stabby, kill, kills, pokey, pokies. He's always humming. Because why not add more music? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, by the way, the terrible song here is called Carolina in the Morning. And it's sung by George Deaton, who also did the voice of the preacher on the radio. Oh, oh, okay. I thought thought preacher on the radio was like... (laughs) That was like... An 80s band. Yeah. (laughs) You heard the new song from Preacher on the Radio? So good. It took me a minute. I was like, okay, got it, got it. (laughs) 
Well, next we see a woman, Deborah, arrive home and is struggling with the keys in the door, so she just drops her bag of groceries on the ground outside. She finally gets inside, closes the door, and heads off to take a shower, leaving the damn groceries outside. She just, it's just, it's fine. They'll be fine. <laughs> but first she takes her time to turn on the radio. Because you got to get those damn crappy songs we paid for in the movie. <laughs> and God forbid we have a scene with the, with silence. There has to be something playing in the background. Absolutely. Uh, she does put on a stellar shower cap, though. It, but for like a second and for no reason at all. Well, true. Granted, <laughs> but we don't know this at this point. I just thought, I mean, it had some lovely like green, orange, yellow flowers. It was so 70s. It was. It really was. It looked like... 70s wallpaper really (laughs) yeah like a part of like a tablecloth yes exactly (laughs) well next oh no someone's behind the shower curtain oh silly girl it's just the contents of your entire fucking closet for some reason hanging in some weird mc escher staircase configuration in the shower (laughs) did you see how they it was like stacks upon like a shirt was hanging from the shower head but then some pants were hanging from the bottom of the shirt and then these shorts were hanging from the armpit it was i was like what is going on and this whole that scene was goofy because like in order for you know in in my head i'm like oh you should just bend down and turn off the water and that would be she gets in the t- it doesn't take yep. off what she's wearing she fully steps in and then, oh, I, the water's on me. What? And then turns off the water. It's yes. like all of this could have been avoided, sis, if you would have just bent over and turned off. You didn't have to get in with the clothes to confirm the water is wet, then turn it off. <laughs> well, that's how she rolls. Uh, and, you know, this actually could have been a really good jump scare. But I could see that silhouette as she was turning the shower on earlier in the scene already. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, that kind of looks like someone behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. So when she finally reacts to it, I'm like, yeah, I I saw that five minutes ago, bitch. Catch up. I'm going to need you to be better aware of your surroundings. Uh, We were already worried. Come on. Uh, Hello. Well, she gets out of the shower and, of course, is like, "Eh, I'm all wet and... I better get out of these clothes, to which she does, and then takes the shower cap off. She then goes and picks out a new outfit. So I guess we're not taking a shower now? Well, that's because she got wet, silly. Yeah. It's very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, oh, well, I already showered. It's fine. (laughs) The water landed on me somewhere, so I'm clean. (laughs) Well, then she goes to get her Postmates? Nope, they didn't have that in the 70s. It's her damn groceries that she left outside. She now goes to pick those up, and now she's going to pay for it because here's our maintenance man, and he approaches her. At least he figured out the fucking ski mask. Uh, (laughs) But she doesn't scream or say anything. She just looks at him, like, mildly curious. Uh, And then here's one of those... Surprise punches. He just punches her right in the damn face. You're like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's so aggressive every time. Well, he then picks her up and takes her around the corner to the stairwell. 
and bashes her head in with the claw in of a hammer. Yes. And it's brutal. You you don't actually see the clawing, but it's it's enough and there's enough blood dripping and splattering that you get a pretty good idea of what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, he's humming the entire time. But he then picks her up and takes her inside her apartment. Why Why didn't he just do that to begin with? Because they were literally right in her doorway. Yeah. I, hadn't, I didn't understand that either. Because at first, I was already curious why he opted. Like, I was like, oh, okay, he's going to take her to, like, his house or something. Mm-hmm. Like, to another location that isn't there. But then when he took her, like, a few feet away to do it outside in a place more public i was just super confused and then yeah whenever he was like okay well might as well take her back home i was like i don't understand any of this logic right now where where's this going and then we never really got a resolution like it's not like we ended up getting an end result that explained the whole scheme of it all yeah because he gets interrupted because the neighbor comes over wanting to know if Deborah was the one who left her brain splattered all over the hall. <laughs> She's like, girl, did you leave this mess out here? <laughs> and she goes ahead and opens the door because nobody in this movie locks their doors, ever. And of course, she sees Deborah's body and then is attacked by the maintenance man. And she almost gets away by kneeing him in the family jewels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he stabs her with... I don't know, some pointy tool, maybe a screwdriver. I I think that's what it was. Some pokey pokey. He then does a little window shopping and sees a lady dancing around in her underoos in front of an open window. Who who the hell, who does that? Yeah, and like moves right in front of the window. Like at first you don't really see her and then like she moves in front of the window and decides to dance. It's like, that's not how that works. Like it's usually accidental and then you're like, oh shit. And then you like (laughs) close the blinds or something. It's not... I'm going to open these and skit scattily do that right here in front of the open window. No, you goob. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen. It's it's illegal. <laughs> it's indecent exposure. Well, she opens her window and she has the stereo up really loud. So now that the window's open, everyone can hear it. So that causes the young lady in the apartment upstairs to close her window so she can hear her conversation on the phone. The maintenance man then tools up and goes in search of his next victim. I mean, so far there is absolutely no plot to this movie other than murder, murder, murder. Yeah, gratuitous murder, gratuitous nudity, and blood. And and I'm okay with it. I'm having a great time. And then it does a a little twisty. (laughs) It's going to get different, Uh, but we're not there yet. So the maintenance man is back on the prowl, and he peeks in on a couple. Uh, Again, he just opens the door. Nobody freaking locks their door. But apparently three is a crowd, and he moves on. Next, a woman is taking out the trash and discovers the blood in the hall from Deborah's head bashing. She grabs her husband, and together they go and check on Deborah. Why do all the neighbors immediately think of Deborah when they find blood in the hall? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, God damn it. What kind of life was Deborah leading? It's that bloody Deb again. <laughs> <laughs> you know that? Oh, now it's sad. <laughs> the old neighborhood <laughs> bloody Deb. <laughs> oh, I just, I feel bad for Deb. 
<laughs> she said it rough. I just imagine her like being just this, <laughs> just <laughs> the neighborhood weirdo who constantly has like Halloween fake blood that she just like throws at people and just like hisses at them. <laughs> basically everything i wish i could be which is that far out and weird that people just completely leave me alone i i think there is a lady in downtown oklahoma city who does that really no (laughs) i was like holy shit i want to meet her (laughs) i really did i paused i was scratching my cheek and i was like what (laughs) our own bloody death All right, well, back to the movie. Of course, the neighbors end up finding Deb and that other woman dead. Well, next we see the police have arrived and are interviewing the couple that found Deborah and the other lady. But now they're in Mrs. Andrews' apartment, which is the very first woman we saw that was killed with the drill. Yeah. I don't know how we got in her apartment. By this point, I was, I think... I remember thinking, oh, okay, this is just them connecting that it's all the same apartment. Yeah, because these do all take place in the same apartment complex, but we're jumping around a lot, and yeah. they found different murder victims, so I don't know why we're now in this murder victim's apartment, but it's fine. Uh, but now we're back in Deborah's apartment, and the cops are interviewing the couple we saw briefly that the maintenance man didn't kill. We can also see there's pornography magazines on the coffee table with blood and other bodily fluids on the open pages. Also, I like how the original detective that was interviewing the couple just walks away in the middle of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> just like, this is boring. I'm leaving. And I'm done. All right. <laughs> but but the lady just keeps on talking. <laughs> Again, somebody I wish I could be just walking away mid-conversation when I'm personally done. <laughs> well, now Mr. Kingsley, the building's owner, shows up and you'll have to pardon him. He hates the sight of blood, which automatically makes him my prime suspect. If your character walks in and has to openly profess how much he hates the sight of blood, yeah, something tells me you're just fine with it. (laughs) And of course, he just doesn't understand how this could have happened. This is a secure building. He personally screens all the applicants, and he just hates that this has happened to any one of them. Well, the next morning, we see a young girl. Lori is checking on her mother, who's just about to get up and make her breakfast. Just five more minutes. Something tells me that breakfast ain't coming. But don't worry, Mom's not like a loser drunk. She just works nights to support them, and she's exhausted. Well, Brother comes down and is pissed because Lori didn't wake him up, and now he's going to be late. And what is she making for dinner tonight? What? TV dinners again? Come on, sis. Oh, I'm sorry, is your 15-year-old sister not doing a good enough job wiping your ass, (laughs) dick? (laughs) He's lucky he redeems himself later. But right now, Lori is off to school and meets up with her friend. And hey, did you hear about what happened last night? The complex is all abuzz about the triple murders the night before. Quite frankly, I'm surprised there aren't like 50 U-Hauls outside with people noping the fuck out of there. I mean, (laughs) 
If I woke up the next morning to find out two different apartments had murder victims in them, no, we're not staying. Yeah, and especially because obviously at this point, it's like a, you know, it's not like modern day apartment complexes where there's like a ton of units. This is a small complex, so it's like literally your next door neighbors and it's it's way too close for comfort and yeah there would be no way I would be like at least I got to go on an extended vacation yeah let me know when you catch somebody (laughs) (laughs) well let's talk about Lori for a minute so this is child actress Pamela Ferdin and her performance is absolutely amazing in this film Aside from appearing in just about every popular television series in the late 60s and early 70s, she was also the original voice of Lucy in the Peanuts movies. And today's 90s babies may recognize her as the voice of Shelley Kelly from a short-lived animated series on the WB called Detention. Well, the part of Lori Ballard would actually be her final film role, She would do a few minor TV roles after this, but eventually took up nursing as a career and became an animal rights activist. She never wanted to be an actress in the first place. It was her mother who pushed her into it. In fact, the only reason she took this role was because her mother made her do it. But as soon as filming wrapped, she told her she was done with acting. Although she played a 15-year-old, Pamela had just turned 18 at the time of filming, but despite her legal age, never saw the movie in its entirety until she recorded the DVD audio commentary in 2002, almost 25 years later. Oh, wow. That's wild. Yeah. I, I can't imagine not watching a movie that you were in. Yeah. Yeah, I would want to see its its final product. Yeah, that's that would, crazy. That uh, Yeah, that would be something that would like drive me crazy. I feel like I would have to see it. Well, we'll get back to Lori in a bit. Uh, but first off, it's later that night and we have a lovely lady in a very erotic bath scene. Uh, and she's getting clean everywhere. And aside from a few well-placed bubbles... There is not much left to the imagination here. No, not at all. It's it's also like just one of those things that's go it's it goes just beyond like comfortable. It's like, okay, we really can we like leave? Like do we have the option to like leave the room while she finishes? <laughs> <laughs> like it's fine, but at the same time it's like what it gets to the point where you're sitting there where you're like, what what's the actual point? <laughs> Because literally nothing's happening. Yeah. Well, this is Deanne, and she is having a little me time. Self-help night. <laughs> well, she is played by nude model and penthouse pet Kelly Nichols. And when the movie came out, she took her brothers to see it at the same theater she worked at as an usher when she was a teenager. Awkward yeah, that's a little awkward for sure. I'd be like, you literally aren't allowed to watch that. Thank you. Not <laughs> only would I forbid them to watch it, I certainly would never watch it in their presence. Yeah. Nor if I was the brother, would I want to watch it and even watch it in my sister's presence. It yeah. just would be terribly uncomfortable. Yeah. And 
of course, don't forget we get more cringeworthy music. Uh, this is a song called Pretty Lady, and it's a duet, and he wants her to take him to her secret place again, and she just wants to be more than friends. I think that's what makes this whole scene, like, as creepy as it is. Like, yes. I, it's not even, like, her doing her thing. I'm like, yeah, sister, do your thing. Get there. Do what you got to do. It's this song that I'm like, excuse me, it feels like we're all invading her space. Like. Uh-huh. She's having me time. Can we give her? She deserves it. (laughs) Let this queen treat herself and let all of us leave the room instead of singing songs about her creepily in her ears. (laughs) It's just so uncomfortable, this duet that's happening while it's all all of it's very like, uh, why? Yeah, this whole scene, the way that it was shot, the way that it plays out, the music that they chose, like you said, it, it made it feel very intimate. Not like someone is trying to do something sexy for an audience. So instead of this coming across as like this sexy scene, it's just uncomfortable mm-hmm. because you feel like you're seeing something that wasn't meant to be seen. Yeah. And so it just automatically makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, things are about to get a little nutty. So meanwhile, outside, we see the maintenance man is creeping and he breaks into the house and busts in on Deanne just as she finds her happy ending. She's completely oblivious he's there until he starts his creepy humming and pulls out a nail gun. At least that's what I finally realized it was. I wasn't sure at first. I was like, this, what, tool, think, tools, what could this be? Yeah, it looks... I guess not what I'm used to a nail gun looking like at first. I thought it was like a, it looked like a dumbbell. Yeah. And I thought it was like some like secret spy agent dumbbell <laughs> that also worked as like a gun of some sorts. And then I realized what was happening. <laughs> well, again, we have this odd reaction where she doesn't scream when she sees him or say anything. She just jumps up. And just kind of scoots past him out the door. <laughs> She's me, just kind of like, oh, oh, yeah, don't touch. Thank you. Gotta go. <laughs> well, he swings around and shoots, but Deanne trips on his toolbox and falls forward, causing the nail to miss her. Uh, she tries to go for the door, but the maintenance man blocks it as he pushes her back on the couch and reloads the nail gun. A single shot nail gun? Is that a thing? It doesn't seem very efficient. No, it seems like that would get tiring if you're, like, roofing. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. It's like, ba-dunk. It's like, what's the point? <laughs> you might as well just hammer it yourself and the, you're not saving time. But I guess in the game of murder, then you are saving <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I really wanted to get through that. Then I guess you are saving time, you know, a little bit. Nobody wants to hammer it. Well, in the meantime, she tries throwing a vase and it does nothing. Uh, then she just sits there and whines uh, until he gets the gun reloaded. <laughs> Only then does she finally take off running again as he once again misses the shot. She then runs into a back bedroom and just kind of sits on the bed. Like, he'll never find me here. Yeah. <laughs> Safe as houses. <laughs> I didn't, it's like, couldn't you get under the bed? Yeah, or? like she doesn't even get under the covers. Like she doesn't. No, she just 
jumps on the bed and is like, okay. <laughs> I I even made a note about that. I was like, this whole scene is so goofy because like she has a good like four or five solid times where she could have easily like walked out, walked back in, grabbed her purse and her keys, <laughs> maybe tossed her shirt on and then left. Oh, yeah, because she is completely naked this entire time. Yeah, because, of course, why would we not do that? It's, it's again, it's that time of the gratuitous nudity in these exploitation films where we just do everything naked. Which makes it even more surprising when you realize they didn't do a lot of grooming. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the time of that. <laughs> but as much nudity as there was, you'd think someone would have gone... You know, maybe this would be more appealing if we trim things up a bit. But also, it's so time consuming. (laughs) (laughs) But worth it. (laughs) Well, as the maintenance man approaches her, reloading again, she continually, oddly, very calmly begs for her life. It's like, what are you doing? Please put it down. Please put it down. I'll do anything. Put it down. <laughs> Put it down, please. What are you doing? Come on. Think about your actions. <laughs> really. St- hey, stop. Stop. Come on. Think about your life, champ. Please, settle down. Where did things go wrong for you, buddy? Really? Another nail? Cut it out. <laughs> so silly. Stop. Your ski mask isn't straight. <laughs> Put it on, right? Stop it. Well, he makes it all the way over to the bed and starts touching her. Uh, But she does try to get away again, but he nails her. (laughs) See what I did there? But ups. Hey! (laughs) Uh, She falls to the ground, and he then shoots her point blank in the forehead. We then zoom into a lovely black and white, blood-splattered glamour shot of Deanne. Is just missing the feather boa. The classic feather boa, for sure. That would have been <laughs> just the chef's kiss. Yeah, a little blood-spattered boa, for sure. <laughs> and then we have this cool mixture of a flashback here where you see Deanne's arms slowly fall to her side as she's dying, mixed with flashes the killer is seeing of the girl who was killed in the car crash her arm also fall to the side as she dies. So obviously we're getting the impression that, you know, this girl's death, whoever died in this car crash, is somehow related to these killings. It has spurred this killer on. He he keeps having these flashes of of this girl's death where, of course, since we don't really have a plot at this point, we have no idea... <laughs> you know, what that means, mm-hmm. but we're going with it. Yeah, I agree. I really liked the scene, too, just because, I mean, at this point, I think it's all assumed, but I think this was a point that's meant to, to basically, like, confirm what I think us as the viewers have all thought, mm-hmm. that, yes, this is either reenacting something that this person has seen or maybe done in the past or or something, something significant triggered what's happening now in present day and these two worlds are kind of crossing over in this person's mind exactly 
Oh, and I hope you really like that pretty lady song because we hear the whole damn thing. (laughs) This entire scene plays out for the duration of the song and doesn't end until the song does. I mean, it's a choice. (laughs) It really is. Again, they were like, we have full rights and we're going to use every second of the song. And I appreciate it. Get your money's worth. Well, next up, Lori is talking with her boyfriend on the phone. And from the manner of the conversation, you can tell that Lori is a good girl. Yeah, she definitely came across as like, uh, you know, kind of the the golden child, basically. Like, always checks in with, with mom and dad and, you know, gets good grades and never stays out late, you know, and stuff like that. And I think... It was important to establish that character. I mean, n- not that I think it would have made what happens any better or any worse, but I think, of course, during this time of exploitation films, a lot of it would to be to make these acts happen to like an innocent character. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why they had to establish that it was like, look, she's this innocent girl who's like perfect and, you know, is this, like you said, good girl. So yeah, I think that's what that was meant to do was establish her, that as her primary characteristic. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's another one of those early instances of our virgin character mm-hmm. is going to be our final girl, mm-hmm. our, our survivor. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just kind of fitting in its little niche in the annals of slasher films. But this scene right here is where this movie takes a complete turn Mm -hmm. just out of nowhere it goes from being just your classic fun slash em up to a psychological thriller yeah and it does it on a dime and you don't see it coming yeah so fast and so hard that like i almost was i know we got to into the middle of where we were into this psychological thriller to us that i was questioning if we were still watching the same movie because yeah. we were watching it on Tubi I was like did it accidentally switch <laughs> movies and I just wasn't paying attention you know when it like went to a commercial break or something and I was genuinely so confused but we kept coming back to our main killer uh-huh. and so I was like obviously we're still in this toolbox situation so like I know we're in the same world but yeah it was just completely unexpected yeah and you know I absolutely love when a movie takes me by surprise. And that's exactly what this movie did. You know, you said you didn't have any expectations going in. I had the expectation that this was just going to be a good, fun slasher movie. Yeah. That we were just going to go and have the best time and have just fun watching these crazy kills. And that's what the first half of this movie is. But then (laughs) it's, like you said, a completely different movie. We never see, technically, the maintenance man again. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if that is our own ignorance nowadays, or if that's how it was even back then when it premiered. What do you mean? Like, I wonder if even when it premiered, if if people didn't realize that it wasn't your typical just slasher film. Well, sure. I mean, they had to feel that because... You go in with that expectation of you're going to see one of these exploitation slasher films 
And then all of a sudden, halfway through, it's just this regular old psychological thriller Mm -hmm. with no crazy, crazy kills, no blood and gore. There will be another death, but it's just, it's so, it's so bizarre, but oddly it worked. It really feels like almost as if like two brothers were making a movie and they had two separate ideas, but they wanted, they like had the agreement that I had to be in one movie and they were like, look, we're going all in on one movie. So everything has to work. So they just like shoved it all in and made it work. Cause it, that's what it feels. It feels like two totally separate, separate ideas that Uh shouldn't belong, but somehow they do. They do. It it just felt so, I was like that. I'm confused. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm sure people listening who haven't seen it are very confused as well. So Let's get back to the movie. (laughs) Well, Lori gets off the phone with her boyfriend and starts working on her homework because, again, she's a good girl. And, of course, the maintenance man breaks in and he attacks her and very realistically smothers her until she passes out. I mean, this scene was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And it's all because of Pamela's performance. It was chilling it was so horrifying i truly felt like she felt like she was in danger yeah yeah i was really in shock because of how good she was portraying this character i was like i am so shocked that i haven't i don't recognize who she is you know by how good this performance is basically yeah she may not have wanted to be an actress but she sure did have the gift for it Mm -hmm. yeah oh absolutely well after Lori passes out At the end of the scene, we see a shot of a a soda can that was knocked onto the floor uh, and its contents are spilling out. And we hold that shot for just a moment. And it's kind of like an analogy of her childhood. You know, just as this soda is spilling out, so goes Lori's innocence. Mm -hmm. You know, things will never be the same for her after this moment and it's just it's so amazing how just that one simple shot can help kind of convey you know the tragedy of that yeah you know in something as simple as a soda spilling over but in in context to what's happening it just you know represents this horribly tragic event yeah you know that's literally changed someone's life Well, next, her brother comes home and sees that the door is unlocked. He calls for Lori, but he gets no answer. He grabs himself an apple, because snacks, uh, and starts checking Lori's homework for some reason. I have no idea why. Uh, He hears the door starts to open and immediately starts to yell at Lori, thinking it's her, for leaving the door unlocked. But it's it's not Lori, of course, it's her mother, and she wants to know where the hell he's been if he doesn't know where his sister is. And uh, so <laughs> then she says, just get me something cold to drink and go get her. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like such a mom thing to yeah, say. Yeah, Well, he fixes her a soda just as someone outside starts screaming. He and his mom run outside to find another neighbor has discovered Deanne's body downstairs. And now mom is freaking out and she starts yelling, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? Has anyone seen Lori? Well, the police are back and a detective is interviewing some man who, 
I'm assuming is another neighbor. And <laughs> the cop says to her, you have any idea about this girl's habits? And the man says, I've, I've never been in her place before. Well, do you have any impression about her sex life? <laughs> it's like, what? How well did neighbors know each other back in the 70s? Why would he be expected to know that? And like, what a jump in question. Like, do you know if your neighbor enjoys crocheting? Also, how many sexual partners has she had ever? Like, two totally different questions that a neighbor might know. <laughs> yeah, it's just so bizarre. The guys even like, well, the walls here aren't very thin. <laughs> He just doesn't even know how to answer this question. Well, next we see a quick scene of Deanne's autopsy as they're pulling the nail out of her head. Don't worry, it's not too gory. It's just implied that it came out of her head. You don't actually see them pull it out. Well, another detective is now interviewing Lori's brother, Joey, and it goes something like this. How are you doing? Oh, swell. My neighborhood is the target of a maniac and my sister's been kidnapped, probably by the same guy. How are you this morning? So Joey's got some sarcasm, so he's starting to grow on me. (laughs) And the cop says, you sure go out a lot at night and you need more than a spilled Pepsi to prove a kidnapping. So basically Joe says, you know, look, Lieutenant, if if you're not going to find her, I will. And so Joe is now going to take it upon himself uh, to figure out who's doing all the killings. Which killer's doing the killings? Well, back at the apartments, Joey has decided to check out the other crime scenes, which apparently you can just walk into. Why tape it off? Just That'll just slow you down. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get back in that crime scene. Don't tape that off. <laughs> just leave it unlocked. <laughs> I like to walk around whenever I can. And if the killer shows back up because he left something, just let him get it and go. It's fine. (laughs) Well, in one of the apartments, Joey runs into Kent Kingsley, who is the nephew of Vance Kingsley, the man who owns the property and hates the sight of blood. Well, Kent has been hired by his uncle to come clean these apartments up. Kent then starts looking around at all the blood and carnage and doesn't seem to be too bothered by any of it. He's almost fascinated by it. He then asks Joey if he wants to earn a few extra bucks and help him clean up. Joey is really bothered by all the blood and tells Kent he shouldn't be there since it might be too much since he just lost his cousin, Kathy. Kent assures Joey it doesn't bother him, but he is upset by the memory of the death of his cousin, which is Vince's daughter, Kathy, who died in a car wreck. Hello, it's all coming together now. Full circle. (laughs) But it also seems like Kent is a little too affected by Kathy's death. Like, she's your cousin, and that's sad. I get it. But it just seems like there's a little something more there. And now Kent is my second suspect. Suspect numero dos. Well, Joey confides in Kent that Lori used to have a crush on him and even asked Joey to ask him out for her once. But Joey had refused because he thought Kent was way out of her league. But Kent claims she's a fox. So take that, Joey. 
I'm going to start calling you a fox. Thank you. I love that. Start. Well, because I've been calling you a cougar. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) great. (laughs) But now you're fox. Oh, foxy bean sounds weird. (laughs) Yes, please don't do that. (laughs) I also really want that to be my drag name. Everybody, welcome to the stage, Foxy Beans. (laughs) Done. Well, next they investigate Deanne's apartment and Joey finds her dildo under the bed and tosses it at Kent, who thinks it's disgusting. Ew. This looks like a penis thing that I have. (laughs) That's so awkward. Well, Kent just says the word nail gun real loud. (laughs) It's it's so bizarre. They're like getting ready to leave and he just goes, nail gun. I'm like, what? (laughs) But what he's actually doing is (laughs) pointing out that he sees where nails have been shot into the wall and he figures out that the weapon was a nail gun. Uh, but this seems to like trigger something. So does this mean that he knows who done it? Who nail gunned it? Did he do it? Did he gun nailed it? <laughs> Is he Peter Gun? Is he gun nail guy? Peter guy? <laughs> Peter Griffin. Nail gun guy. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. We did it. (laughs) That was so unnecessary. But also, I appreciate it. Good times. Well, next we see Mom arrive at the dive bar where she works. And the first thing she does is turn on the damn jukebox so we can hear another stupid song. Uh, This one is, I've got everything it takes to be a fool. And the musical director was a fool for using this music. (laughs) Well, her boss wants to know why she's there, but she says she can't stand to just sit around at home and would rather be at work to keep her mind off of things. She can tell Lori's close and just feels like she's going to come walking in the door at any minute. Yeah, this this part I didn't really think anything about until it comes up again. It seems like she, like, nobody's really asking, but she keeps explaining to everybody like nobody walks up to her and she's like well I bet you're wondering why I'm here and like (laughs) nobody actually asked because like it was one of those things where like I wouldn't have even I don't know I guess maybe I'm insensitive because I I didn't even think about it if she wouldn't have explained it I wouldn't have I just been like yes let's get her money like she's got to pay for a funeral I get it I'm sorry that you're doing this it's fine It's okay. People grieve in different ways. <laughs> I understand. Well, next we have another car driving for a very long time until it finally arrives at a home. And this is Uncle Vance's house. And you don't want to wake him up. So they need to be quiet. Well, of course, they wake him up. And this is Joey. And he's going to help clean the apartments. Is that okay? Uncle Vance? Uncle Vance? And he just stares at Joey for way longer than required 
within normal human interaction. I mean, he just <laughs> keeps staring at him. <laughs> he finally snaps out of it and hands Kent a bunch of cash and tells him he was just about to fix something to eat. And well, this is just music to Joey's ears. And he says, hey, that sounds great. To which Uncle Vance just shuts the door in their face. <laughs> and poor Joey looks so dejected. He just wants someone to fix him a meal. He's tired of TV dinners. <laughs> he doesn't know how to cook for himself. I don't understand why he can't just, like, make cereal. Or, man, take a home ec class. You're gonna need it. Like a sandwich. Like, these things were around during that time, so I don't <laughs> understand why we weren't led to believe that he would know how to make those things. I don't know why he's going to be such a goober about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, next they grab a bunch of supplies and head out, and as they do, they just so happen to pass Uncle Vernon's toolbox, and it is the toolbox. So, it has been confirmed Vance is our killer. Dun, dun, dun. And inside we hear him humming his creepy tune as he's preparing lunch with a hunting knife. As one does. It's creepy. I used many different tools in my sandwich making as well. Earlier today I was using a boat oar. It was messy, <laughs> but it was an experience that I had. Girl and... likes mustard. What can you say? <laughs> exactly. Well, we now see Lori again, and she is being held captive in Kathy's old bedroom. Remember, she's Vance's daughter, the one that was killed in that car accident. And in walks Uncle V singing L-O-L-L-I-P-O-P. -L -L spells lollipop. Lollipop. And I don't want him to do that anymore. <laughs> and just like that, we hate it. <laughs> Well, Vance has brought Lori a lollipop with the lunch he made her and comes over and brushes her hair. But he, like, doesn't do it neatly, and it bugged me the whole time. Because <laughs> he's like, what's wrong? And trying to console her, but then he's, like, making her hair messy. And immediately I'm like, that's what's wrong. It's you're making her hair messy, and you're singing a song in her face, and you're trying to force feed her. And there's a lot of things right now. That you're obviously doing to upset her, and I don't know why you keep asking her what's wrong. Well, he does have her all dressed up in what we are assuming are Kathy's clothes, and he also has her ankles and wrists bound, and she has a gag in her mouth. So it's obvious that she is there against her will, and he's treating her as if she were his child, but he clearly understands at least at this point, that this is not his daughter. In fact, he tells Lori that Kathy was prettier than her, which, fucking rude. Yeah, at the very least. Like, he's kind of being a dick. He tells her that he understands that God always takes the good ones early because the world would ruin them if they stayed. He tried to keep Kathy good, but in today's world, that's impossible. There's too much evil. But if you get rid of the evil then all that's left is good. And Miss Andrews, she had to die because she's a drunk and filthy, and the others were just dirty, doing unnatural things to their own bodies and to each other. Just unnatural. But of course, he's compassionate, 
and he killed them quickly because he never wanted them to suffer. Yeah, none of this was done painlessly. No, absolutely not. Well, he goes on to explain that basically he's going to take care of her from now on, so she isn't affected by the evils of the outside world. And he's really very sweet to her, like a father would be. I mean, there's like nothing sexual here or creepy like that, but she is terrified. And the way she plays it, she looks terrified. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, she looks terrified. She looks confused. Everything is played out on her face, and it's done so well. So just seeing the terror on her face and then seeing him being so sweet and, you know, almost loving to her, it's so crazy. And that's part of, you know, this second half of this different movie that's been stuck together to this other movie. It's so different than the vibe you were getting in the first half of this movie. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that's important about this this kind of second half of the movie is her character and her ability to emote so much with her eyes and her uh her face because a lot of the time in in spent in this bedroom with her and this uh Uncle V character, it's a lot of him monologuing and she doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue Mm -hmm. in these scenes. So, and a lot of times, like you said, her mouth is usually, what was, what was used on her mouth? Was it lace? What was it? Yeah, it looked like it should have been like a, a hair tie that would go in her hair to, that would be made to match her dress. Yeah. And then he just was using that as yeah, the gag. Yeah. Yeah. But most of the time she's obviously gagged. So a lot of it is spent with just her, you know, emoting with her eyes and the rest of her face and stuff like that. And I think it is important and it says a lot that she does that so well to contrast with how he does it by, like, like I said, monologuing. He's talking so much throughout these scenes um, and really taking over by kind of professing his love for his daughter through her and now to her and so a lot of her time is spent basically crying and upset and all of it's done really really well and and not overly done Mm -hmm. in a way that I think it could be cheesy but it doesn't really get there yeah it's it's done just phenomenally well even though Vance is the focus here it's quite obvious that Pamelin is the one who makes that scene. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Vance continues to talk to Lori and tries to come up with justifications for why he did what he did. And eventually he breaks down and he weeps over her and he keeps calling her Kathy. And then Lori actually starts calling him daddy and tells him, that her wrist hurts and she doesn't want the restraints back on. You know, she basically starts trying to use that to help her. You know, if, if she can truly convince him that this is his daughter, then surely he would, you know, unrestrain her. But he, he says he has to, even though he doesn't want to. He then asks her if it hurt when God took her away from him. And Lori plays into it, and she says, no, dying is easy. This hurts worse. 
and she starts crying again and it just breaks your heart and Vance says but I just can't bear to lose you again and now he's crying and even that breaks your heart and then he wants to know what it's like where she is and she says it's purple like a lollipop and you never get to see God and it's like you're flying around and you know what everyone else is thinking and you know all the answers they know and you're real close to them even if they don't know it and you can tell them anything because they can't hear you. He tells her he loves her and not to cry anymore but yet he still ties her back up. Well next we're back at the bar where mom works and she's serving up the cocktails as people are doing the white man's overbite on the dance floor then the lieutenant comes in to talk to the mom and is hitting on her. Did you get that impression? Yeah. It I, was completely inappropriate. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And you could tell that she was completely turned off by it as well. Yeah, you know, he was basically saying, you know, I want to talk to you, but I can wait until you get off. And she's like, listen, when I get off, I go home to my kids. So if you want to talk to me, talk to me now. Well, he claims he's doing what he can to find Lori, but he has to ask her an uncomfortable question. And that is, does Lori flirt a lot? And, you know, the mom says, no, actually, she's quite immature for her age. But the lieutenant keeps pressing, you know, are, are you sure there's something you don't know about? Some men she might be seeing in the neighborhood. In other words... I'm really trying to make this Lori's fault. Can you reassure me that she was some sort of floozy? Yeah. I mean, he's really a jerk. Yeah, especially the fact that he's directly asking her mom. I mean, it was one thing to assume that all of her neighbors knew something about her. And then it's another thing to go to her mom and kind of probe these questions. It's it's completely inappropriate. Well, next we have Kent arriving back at his uncle's house but this time he's sneaking around back. He looks through the window of Kathy's old room and starts tapping on the window. So Lori can't see the window because it's above her, but she can see his reflection in like some geode on, <laughs> on a dresser or something. It's very creepy. It's really bizarre. But as soon as she tries to do something to get his attention, he has to duck down because Uncle Vance comes back into the room. And he now sings whatever this dang song is that he's been humming the whole time, which turns out to be this song called Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. And then, you know, it, it becomes one of those TikTok viral songs. <laughs> As songs do these days. Yeah, kids in the tiki docks. <laughs> and the, the thing is, in this scene, is the way that he's singing, it, it's not like he's standing away from her, like giving this performance. He's, he's come and he's basically laying across her, kind of singing into her face. And then he eventually just kind of lays down in her lap and... You know, poor Lori just does not know what to do with herself. <laughs> she doesn't know where to look. She, and of course she can't move. So she's just kind of like her eyes are <laughs> looking back she's and like, forth. I like, I just, can this get worse? I don't, I don't know where to put my hands. I don't, I don't why do you make this so weird? 
so wet right now. All of you are so moist with your tears. You're not even on key. <laughs> I actually hate this song, so if you knew me at all, you'd actually know that. <laughs> well, the next day, Joey meets up with Kent at one of the apartments, but the lieutenant is there, and he's looking out the windows with binoculars. For what? I don't, I don't know what he's looking for. And then he gives the binoculars to Joey and says, here, maybe you can see something. <laughs> <laughs> and so Joey's looking and he turns around and he goes, what am I looking for? <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, anything, something. It's like, what kind of cop are you? You just suck. Just look out there, find something. Check it out. <laughs> Bring me clues. That's how this works. Name the things you see. I'm suspicious of that third tree from the left. <laughs> Can you describe it for me one more time? Well, the cop starts giving his speculations about who the killer could be, and so is Joey. But it's obvious that Joey is far more on the right track than the cop, and Kent can tell he's starting to maybe figure things out. So Joey goes back to his apartment to borrow his mom's car. He then drives over to Uncle Vance's house, so it looks like he's pretty much got things figured out at this point. So Joey breaks into the garage, or rather just opens the frickin' door since no one locks their doors here, and finds Vance's toolbox. He opens it up and discovers a bunch of bloody tools. Of course, Kent comes in and says, looking for some tools, Joey? And Joey just blurts out, your uncle did it. He murdered all those girls. <laughs> it's like, shit, nice poker face, Doyle Brunson. Jeez. <laughs> Whatever you do, do not tell this guy a secret. <laughs> he does not stand pressure well. <laughs> he does not. And of course, Kent's like, whoa, Tiger, you can't go around saying stuff like that. What if people like the lieutenant start believing you and you're starting to wonder is Kent in on it so why didn't he rescue Lori is he protecting his uncle well Kent then throws dirty water on Joey I don't know what it was I, think I don't maybe either it's supposed to be oil whatever it is it's supposed to be flammable because Kent starts <laughs> throwing matches this whole scene is another Joey. one that I was just like why is this happening He's just chasing him with a match. Yeah, and he starts going, Joey, Joey, burning bright, lit the night with firelight. It's creepy. It is really creepy, but again, it's one of those scenes where I, I noted, I was like, okay, we have a good four instances where he could have been like, you know what, actually, this really is burning my eyes. If I could just take a moment where I could leave, I'm going to run to my house real quick. I'll be back. Like, he could have walked away so many times because he just would light a match and check it out in his hand and then throw it and then it would go out and he oh darn and <laughs> grab another it was just there were so many times to escape <laughs> yeah oh at one point joey does grab an aerosol can and sprays it at ken i don't know what he thought that was gonna do it does nothing uh well uh, eventually ken does light joey completely on fire and he did just like that he did he big really did <laughs> and crispy <laughs> meanwhile back in Kathy's room Vance is shoving a doll in Lori's face as we can hear Joey screaming in pain in the background 
Vance tells her not to worry. It's just little children playing. I mean, I don't know what games these children are supposed to be playing, but that is the sound of horrible death. Yeah. I don't want to play that game. I'll pass. (laughs) You know what? You're it. I'm going home. (laughs) Well, he tells Lori, you know, as, as Kathy, he pretty much full on thinks she's Kathy now, that he was the only one that really ever understood her. Well, next, Kent comes in the room while Vance is continuing to tell Lori that everything is clean and safe and protected just for her here. And he says, you know, you remember Kent, your cousin Kent, he took you places. You know, he took you everywhere you wanted to go. And he kept those nasty boys from trying to touch you. And Kent, I want to thank you for that. Well, Kent comes in the room and, you know, he has this look of disbelief and shock on his face. And he's like, what have you done? You know, he can't believe what his uncle is doing. So it's okay to murder a bunch of women. And then you set this girl's brother on fire. But holding her captive has crossed the line. Yeah, absolutely. That's where he draws the line. (laughs) He's like, no, 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 this is too much. (laughs) <laughs> and he, he's like yelling at him he's going you're insane and he says i never helped you kathy and i were into each other so hard it hurt all those times every time we could get away every hour we could find alone we'd make love oh shit mike dropped and now i'm uncomfortable kissing cousins Gross. <laughs> Don't Gross. like it. I'm uncomfy. <laughs> Brain sad. <laughs> Kissing cousins. Well, of course, Vance freaks out, uh, but Kent dodges him and says, you know, you stay away from Kathy. Uh, as he's sitting next to Lori on the bed. Well, shit, this fucker has bought into the dead Kathy delusion, too. This poor girl is going to have a serious identity crisis after this, (laughs) among other traumatizing issues. Well, Vance and Kent start threatening each other. I'll kill you. No, I'll kill you. No, I'll kill you. I'll kill you harder. I'll kill you harder. (laughs) I'm going to cut you. I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shove this up your ass. Well, they go toe-to-toe crazy in the living room. There was no ass plan. Paraphrasing. I was in there somewhere. I remember it. (laughs) One of them's calling one of them a killer, and the other one's calling the other a heathen. And then... (laughs) Them's fighting words. (laughs) Then Kent stabs Vance in the doll. I don't know what happened. He, like, stabs his hand, but the doll's here. Now Vance is just holding a bloody doll head. Somehow there's just a bloody doll head. I don't know where it came from. Chaos is now fully (laughs) in action. Well, he starts shoving the bloody doll head in Kent's face. He's like, you killed her. You killed Kathy again. So now the doll is Kathy? And Kent stabs Vance in the stomach. Vance sinks to the floor and dies. But not before first confirming that it is indeed purple on the other side. As we all suspected. That's really the message of this movie. 
purple lollipops. At the end of the day, it all comes out purple in the wash. Kent then puts Kathy doll back together and washes the blood off. He then takes her little shoes out of the sink and sets her to dry on the counter. Everything is fine here. Everything's fine. He then goes back into Kathy's room and tells Lori that Vance is gone. She reaches her hands out for help and he starts to undo her bindings. She immediately starts literally licking her wounds on her hands and crying hysterically. That moment right there, it it seemed odd at first. It's like, why? But then you think about if you had been in in binders, you know, around your wrists mm-hmm. so tight that they left marks. Like think about it when you have sheet marks when you wake up Mm -hmm. and it's like a deep indentation yeah and it feels good to like rub it or in this case she just wanted to lick it and i thought what a odd but brilliant choice to do in that moment because it just seemed like something someone would genuinely do in that situation it just shows it portrays a different way how desperate she feels Mm mm-hmm She then starts screaming, I'm free, Mom, Joey, I'm free. She is so relieved to be putting an end to this horrible ordeal. And Kent laughs at her and tells her she's pretty and funny. Then he hugs her and she thanks him for setting her free. He tells her that Vance wasn't fit to be a good father. And Kathy just keeps saying, I thought he was going to kill me. I thought he was going to kill me. But Kent assures her that he's gone now. And then he begins to kiss her. And of course, she asks what he's doing. And immediately, you know, something isn't right here. And it just breaks your heart. You almost want to start screaming no, because she has been through so much. Yeah. And... She just starts screaming, what are you doing? No, no. And he just keeps advancing on her and he rapes her. Well, afterwards, as they're lying in bed, he tells her that this is what being married is like and that basically they're married now. So Lori asks Kent if they can tell Joey that they're married, but Kent says that that's not going to happen since he's dead. And that's the last straw. Lori can't take it anymore, and she turns her head to see the pair of scissors Kent used to cut her loose still on the nightstand. In the final scene, we see Lori covered in blood walking through a mall parking lot. How did she get to the mall? Why is she at the mall? It seems like it's a little bit of a jump from house to mall. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we get a written wrap-up, again telling us that this was a true story and that, quote-unquote, Lori is now married and lives with her husband and one child just four miles from where her brothers and other murders took place. But again, no one has been able to confirm that this was actually based on a real case. And roll credits as Lori walks across the entire empty parking lot. She just keeps walking. Yeah, the camera never cuts away. She just keeps going. And it's sad because everybody else throughout this whole movie gets a car and they get to drive and drive and drive. (laughs) And then poor Lori. 
at least the camera could have cut away and given her a ride home. <laughs> you you would think. I would yeah, I would. And I need to write somebody about it. I feel like some somebody needs to answer my letter. Well, she does deserve everything and more. Man, that was uh that was a brutal, brutal ending. It was a roller coaster ride. This movie was crazy. I feel like it was like a roller coaster ride, one of those ones that they like take you all the way to the end and they like put you through a loop and then you stop and then it flips you backwards. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what this movie did. It just said, flip. All right. Now this is something completely different. Psych. (laughs) All right. I'm, I'm ready to get to some final thoughts, but we need to get to some prompts. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. So what was your popcorn spiller for this one? So for mine, I wrote down the drill scene just because it was unexpected. I really didn't expect such a, and I'm saying graphic used lightly because again, while this is graphic and and I'm sure then to me, it's not as graphic as I've, I've seen movies can be. Oh yes. I, I would consider this extremely tame. Yeah. In, in the graphic, in the graphic sense for blood and gore Mm -hmm. alone the Mm -hmm. subject matter is not yeah yeah but I just I really wasn't expecting something that early on and and especially because I think I really still wasn't I hadn't found my footing yet in the movie like I said I still was kind of lost on like where this car accident was and like who this woman was that just fell out of this car and everything so that really was like a oh shit like we're really jumping right into it so that was kind of like my popcorn spiller of the moment that's like okay no holds bar. We're just going to go right into drilling people in the arm. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they jumped into it pretty, pretty darn quick. Yeah, they really did. What was yours? Well, for me, you know, there was never really a moment that, uh, you know, I, I ever had any kind of jump scare. So I, I had to go with what was quote unquote, the scariest in the sense that it just really made me uncomfortable and that was Lori's attack. When the maintenance man comes in and, and just attacks her, just immediately is on top of her, and she is immediately goes into fight mode, and it's just so intense and so well done by her. It just really, really unnerved me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's got to be my scariest moment in this film. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely understand that. What was your scene stealer for this movie? It's... 100% Lori. Uh, and that's all because of Pamela Ferdin. I mean, she was absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Every single scene that she was in, you know, I, I always go back to when you first said, you know, it's who you can't take your eyes off of. Who do you gravitate toward every time they're in a scene? And it was her, mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. It, that's who I ended up putting down as well, just for the same reasons. I really enjoyed her as a character and uh I think because I really wasn't ex- expecting <laughs> there to really be a final girl situation here mm-hmm. I really expected this to just be a gratuitous slasher where it was just point to end a lot of just ridiculous kills for no point no yeah. reason yeah so I think whenever it was kind of again like I've said before we have the situation where we're kind of spoon fed these characters and I think that's how this one was where we were introduced so quickly to this character that was meant to be shown as you know 
good and innocent and pure, it was immediately who I was like, oh, okay, this this is somebody, it's an anchor, basically, mm-hmm. for me throughout the rest of this movie to latch onto and figure out what the hell's going on. Because yeah. at this point, I really didn't have an idea. And then it helped that she just did the movie so well. All right. So what was your Gorgonism? So for me, I ended up putting the uh, claw hammer kill just because it was it was pretty bloody. Yeah, I had the exact same thing. Yeah, I mean, we like we've said, there was a lot of kills in this one. And while it's tame, you do get some some fake blood action. But this one, really, they they just went ham with it. You don't get to actually see the actual kill, but they were like, here's some blood, throw it there, throw it there, throw it there. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Uh, for, for me, it literally came down to when the almost congealed blood was slowly dripping off the claw hammer itself it was just it was just enough and so effective yeah that yeah I, i thought it was really well done yeah and then what was your memorable mortality well for me it has to be deanne's death when you think about this movie once you've seen it I mean, that's the one you're going to remember is the girl who masturbates and then runs around naked until she's shot with a fucking nail gun. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a crazy scene. Yeah. What about you? So (laughs) this is just something that stood out to me. um, And I made note of it. And I don't know if I mentioned it or not. But one thing I noticed whenever we have this scene between the uncle and Kent, uh, the uncle was like extremely sweaty. (laughs) this whole scene like he's so moist and i don't understand why he's like excessively wet and i i mean i know he's like crying throughout a lot of things like he just is a crier and he's got a lot of emotions that he has to get out (laughs) and i get that but it's just he's so wet and so there was just this whole kill i was like the there's so many theatrics we actually see like the to, I can't remember if it was it wasn't it, this one was a knife an actual knife right uh-huh, remember uh-huh, yeah um yeah it was the same knife he had used to make the sandwich that's right that's right yeah uh so we actually they kind of pan down and we actually see a split second of the knife before it goes in and that's that was just enough for me to be like ah yes 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 uh but then the fact that I was just like my guy, why are you so wet right now? Like you're, and specifically, there was like drops on his eyelashes that I couldn't stop staring at. And I was like, blink those away, please. They're stressing me out. I cannot focus on anything else. So it literally has nothing to do with the movie besides the fact that there was like too much sweat for that scene. All right. So. Hey, if that's what made it memorable, then... <laughs> There you go. <laughs> well, then that only leaves the last question. Does this one go in the vault or do we leave it behind in the dead zone? I got to tell you, I'm going to put it in the vault. You know, it's not my favorite movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But I I truly think if someone asked if I would recommend that they see this movie, I would say yes. Yeah. I think if you're a fan of horror, you should at least see this movie once. Yeah. Just because it's so fascinating how different the two halves of these movies are, but yet it somehow works. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? I was a little bit torn because I couldn't, initially, whenever we first went into it, when I the movie first started, and like I said, we, we didn't realize there was 
much of a plot going into it. I was on the fence and saying Dead Zone just because I was like, and I love slashers. There's not a slasher that I won't watch. So this is not me bashing slashers by any means, but I was like, eh, it's a slasher. It's doing what it's doing. It's fine. No big deal. But then whenever it did its flip, that's when it kind of switched for me because I I actually really enjoyed it from that part. Uh-huh. But I'm I'm torn because, you know, I, I feel like sometimes when you're like recommending a movie to somebody, is it fun to say like the first part of the movie is kind of like meh, but then when you get to the second half, like it gets good. If somebody recommended me a movie like that, I probably wouldn't end up watching it. You know what I mean? Because uh-huh. I'd be like, I don't want to dedicate half my time to this half of the movie that's not good so I I'm torn on it I don't know how I feel about it like I I enjoyed the second half and if if the first half of the movie was building up to the fact that it was like this huge psychological thriller and like we were just I guess spending more time with the characters and maybe doing some more character building then it would have been vault for me the whole way just because I love psychological thrillers Uh uh but I don't know. It's tough for me because I I do also love the fact that there's a twist. So I don't know. I'm torn. I don't, I can't. Well, I mean, it's all right. I already got it in the vault, so. <laughs> so I can't take it out, basically. <laughs> yeah, as long as one of us sticks it in the vault, then it's in the vault. Okay. Well, then that works for me. All right. <laughs> well, I will say that I do have something I want to ding this movie on because... I was really actually pretty pissed at the ending. I really, you know, we've we've been through this whole torturous ordeal with Lori mm-hmm. and seeing the horrors that, that she has had to endure being in captivity and then having this moment where she thinks she's finally free only to have that yanked away from her and for her to be betrayed and to be assaulted so then when she makes the decision to murder kent and and you see she sees those scissors i was pissed that we cut away and we don't get that moment of vindication yeah you know you want to feel that moment where she gets her revenge Mm -hmm. and we just totally skip it yeah that really pissed me off I, i i felt like we were denied something mm-hmm. and I really wish that uh, we, we, I, I wish we had that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because we, I mean, granted with all the other ones, you know, we didn't see the kills actually, I mean, it's not like with the drills, we watched the drill go in and out of the person and, you know, we see gl- blood and guts spill everywhere and then you know with the claw hammer it's not like we saw brains flying everywhere so like right. we're not getting that and it's but it's still insinuated enough that we understand what's happening mm-hmm. so we still could have done that with the revenge kill it's not like Absolutely. we needed to see it to know that it happened and yes we're we understand that it happened by the fact that she's walking away covered in blood obviously she's free and she has the scissors okay we get it but yeah i i completely got that as well i mean even the last line of my notes literally says a tell of revenge question mark okay i guess not i don't Mm -hmm. know i wish i could have seen that last shot like yeah it just kind of feels like i okay you took us on a journey and for what like we don't really get to see anything and that does kind of suck 
But I mean, I guess if I'm going to say anything, I am glad that we at least get to see the fact that she walks away because I thought because they they go to a black screen uh-huh. when she looks at the scissors and I thought that's where it was going to end. And I really was going to like <laughs> throw the TV just because that left too much up for interpretation of like, right. did she get away or not? But so at the very least, I was like, OK, I guess I'm glad that we at least get to see her walk away. And you know, I, I think I was a bigger fan of the first half of this movie than you were. I, I had a total blast. And so when it did its flip, because I thought that's just what it was going to be for the whole rest of the time. And perhaps if it had been, maybe that would have made the whole rest of it just seem tedious by the time it was over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, okay, we get it more and more and more. Yeah. So the fact that the decision is made to flip it on its head and now it's a psychological thriller i mean that really kind of slapped me in this in my face yeah you know when people started having this real dialogue and and you know people were having feelings and emotions and there was an actual plot going on here i was like what is this movie yeah (laughs) yeah so i think it's really that flip that made it more for me more enjoyable yeah yeah I can understand that I think I think my only issue really lies with like you know where I'm starting off when I go into seeing a movie especially when it comes to horror I usually turn to horror because I'm wanting something specific Mm -hmm. so if I'm going into a movie specifically for like I just want this to be an all-in-out slasher like I don't want to have to like get attached to these characters Uh I don't want to sit here and like have a whole subplot that I have to like feel emotions for and everything then that's what I want and so when you're midway through a movie and to find that it's going to flip I mean not that I I think that's that would be enough for me to like turn off the movie because obviously like I didn't but it can put you in a little bit of a mood where you're like that's not really what I wanted to watch but now I have an hour and a half down the drain kind you know what I mean I think it just it depends on who who the viewer is yeah and what your mood is because going into it if I knew that was a psychological thriller then I I I I don't know it's just one of those things where I I guess I like knowing what I'm going into um depending on my mood it's just uh, you know basically like I said depends on what you're going into the movie wanting to come out of it because it could go either way exactly and it did Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 13 is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us... We're going to send you your very own Dead Zone drive-in sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Also, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link tree URL to our socials and our Letterboxd, which is a site and app to keep up with all the movies we're watching. And lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching Eaten Alive. And if you want to check out its trailer, don't worry, we got you. It's also linked down in the show notes. Another Toby Hooper classic.
I'm very excited. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. During last week's screening, their guitarist Mikey changed the oil on the RV. Purrs like a kitten now. It had been at least four years. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. The dogs and the cat will appreciate that I'm finally... Oh, I thought you were making up like a 70s folk song. (laughs) The dogs and the cat. The dogs and the cat are in the bedroom doing stuff, but doing it separately because they hate (laughs) each other. Because they hate each other. Rainbows and waterfalls. Bells and whistles. Secret garden. Fairy rings and lollipops. Afternoon delight. Glitter and ribbons. (laughs) Now it's just a commercial for Michael's. Oh my god, now I want to find the secret waterfalls at Michael's. <laughs> and now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.